Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Glenn, uh, talking here a little bit last week about uh, guys retiring and what that would look like, and you had a pretty good topic for this week, It was, and you call it a charitable remainder trust. Kind of give a little background on that. Yeah, Casey. So just just as a recap, you know, we're, we're in the last few weeks we've been talking about you know what happens when the farmer's nearing retirement or is at retirement and they have a lot of income, right? There's a lot of grain on hand. Um, there's there's a lot of equipment, uh, but we don't have any tax basis left in our equipment. So you know, if we sell out all in one year, we're going to get you know very high income, get into a lot higher tax tax rates, you know, ultimately paying a lot more income tax. And so last week we talked about farm income averaging, which is a way to take that spike in income and, and potentially spread it out using the prior three years tax rates. So this this week we're going to talk about a charitable remainder trust, which does have a charitable intent involved, but in effect it allows you to spread the income out. Again, we're talking about having a big spike in income in one year. You can basically take the income and spread it out over several years. Um, again, the concept being that you're going to pay an overall lower rate of tax. Okay. So, give me an example of something like that, like how that would that would work. Yeah. So, you know, it, just to get things started, we're, what we're talking about typically to fund a charitable remainder trust would either be grain inventory, you know, which you would you basically have no basis in it. Um, or equipment, and again, a lot of times you have no basis. So you might think, well, so here's a question for you, Casey. If if I have equipment and it's you know five hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment, and I, I say, well, I don't want to have a five hundred thousand dollar gain all in one year. What I will do is I'll just have the buyer. You know, I found somebody to pay me for the equipment. I'll just have the buyer pay me a hundred thousand dollars a year for five years. So the question is, how do you get taxed on that? What would you think, Casey? Oh, well, I would guess you'd get taxed on as the income came in per the contract, but yeah, it seemed like the most that would make sense. Answer. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the way it is, like for land or something like that. So land is typically, you know, installment sales very common, but actually on on equipment where we have something known as depreciation recapture, actually you would get hit with the gain five hundred thousand dollars of gain all in one year in the first year. And you only received a hundred thousand dollars in cash, so that you have a problem. So basically, doing an installment sale. This is probably the number one takeaway from this podcast: is doing an installment sale on equipment is a bad idea because you get taxed in year one. Um, so basically, you don't want to do it that way. So, so the idea well, I, being, right. quick question. So let's say that yeah. that same that same concept though. Like say there were. Someone was going to come in and they were going to uh, take over the farm, for example, and they were going to buy the land, you know, whatever. I'm going to say you had a thousand acres or whatever, yeah. and they're going to buy that, and they're going to put that on an installment thing. So that that would be fine then. You could do that. You could do the Correct. however many, yep. whatever, divided by 30 in this, or however long for you want to carry gain, it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For a capital gain item, like land is a capital gain, you do get to pick up your income. You know, you recognize the gain as you receive the payments. But not for ordinary income property, which is based with this depreciation. So equipment is bad for an installment sale. Land is a good thing for an installment sale. Okay. Yep. Right on. So here's another question for you. What if I've got equipment and let's say I'm pretty charitably minded, so we're gonna get into this charitable concept, but what if I 
just say, I'm just going to donate my equipment to a nonprofit organization, right? I don't, I don't, I don't need the money. I'm just going to donate my equipment to a charity. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? What would be your take on what is my deduction if I donate? You know, it's very clear. You know, we call you up, Casey, and we ask what the value of this tractor is. You know, hey, it's a hundred thousand dollar value of the tractor. There's no question about it. It's a hundred thousand dollar value. What do you think your tax deduction would be? Um, I would guess whatever you whatever you haven't depreciated of that value of equipment between what you depreciation schedule says and what it's worth. So you're saying if if there's no if you have no depreciation left on the equipment, your yeah. deduction would be how much? Whatever the value of the P of the equipment is. So the hundred thousand dollars. Hundred grand, yeah. 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 So you're two, for, you're two for two on this. Unfortunately, the answer is you actually get no deduction for donating equipment if you have no basis left in it. Um, so if I fully depreciated the tractor down to zero, even though it's worth $100,000, I don't get any charitable deduction. So it's kind of a bit of a raw deal, isn't it? So if I had, say it was worth 100000 bucks, and my depreciation schedule, I still had 25000 bucks or something like that for a, yeah. for a basis. I could, that yep. would get that deduction then? Then you would get twenty five thousand in that case, yeah. So okay. the difference is, like, you know, you may be like, well, if I donate my car or something, you know, but generally what we're talking about there is like my personal assets, right? So if I bought a car and I want to donate my car, my basis in the car is still what I paid for it. I haven't depreciated it. So, um, so anyway, those are those are both kind of negatives on equipment, right? If I try to donate it, likely I'm not going to get much of a deduction, probably zero. And if I sell it on an installment sale, um, I'm not going to be able to spread the gain out. So, so this is where this charitable remainder trust comes into play. Okay. So what happens if you were to like, do like a charity auction type thing? Would that fall into the same thing? Like you're going to donate it to the young farmers yeah. of, of whatever county you're in, and, and they auction it off, yep. and the, the proceeds go to, to that thing. You can't write that, that amount off? Correct, correct. Because if you think about it, really, it's the person that's paying, you know, the person that's that bought the tractor, you know, gets a charitable deduction if they pay more than that $100,000 number, you know, that you kind of said it was worth as the used equipment appraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but the farmer, hey, they just donated um, the tractor, and if they have no basis in it, they're not going to get a charitable deduction. Wow, so it's better off to to donate maybe grain or something like that, and then watching that off. Or yeah, something. the grain is a the grain is a good uh, you know that's the one we've talked about before where you're able to you know you avoid the self employment tax and um, you don't technically dedu- don't deduct it as a donation, but you don't ever have to report the income or the sale. So so you're still you know you're in the same place. Gotcha. So. Yep. Okay. Okay, so the charitable remainder trust then comes into play, and this this is definitely more of a complicated tax move um, because it requires, you know, setting up an irrevocable trust um, where you would contribute assets such as equipment or grain into this trust, okay? So you've got to be charitably minded to start with. You know, it's like, hey, if I'm going to sell my grain and I was planning on donating quite a bit to, to a church or something, Instead, maybe I do this charitable remainder trust idea. So the thing here is that basically what it does is it converts the value, you know, of the let's say we were talking about $750,000 of equipment. 
So if I sell that, you know, all in one year, I get hit with a, you know, big, big gain. Or even if I try to sell it in the installment sale, still the same issue. Mm -hmm. But instead, what I'm going to do is convert that $750,000 into a stream of income payments. So I'm going to take back, um, in this case, it might be, I'm going to get 10 years of payments for $75,000. Okay? And so, what, effectively what happens then is I gradually, I have to recognize $75,000 of income a year for 10 years, right? So that's that's how I'm able to spread out the income, hopefully at a lower tax bracket. So um, it, it's certainly complicated because it is irrevocable, um, but it is a way, again, to spread out the income. Now, for grain, when the, the real nice thing with grain, so grain is a little better because let's say it was, Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a grain. If I get ten payments at seventy-five thousand dollars, I do not have to pay self-employment tax on that income stream coming back to me. So it almost it basically converts it from self-employment income to non-self-employment income because instead it's like an annuity stream of payments. So the big takeaway is I don't have to pay self-employment tax if it's grain. So that's a huge potentially a huge issue. Um, the other takeaway is I can spread my income out instead of instead of having seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of income in, in one year, I would have it, you know, over ten years or some other time period. So that's where the you know, if I'm if I'm in a lower tax bracket, I can save real money. So how does that work with if you're gonna transfer it over to the next generation coming in? How do how do those things work sit out to all that? Yeah, it really doesn't work too well in that situation. This is more where, yeah, you're 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 selling out, um, you know, where you're not you don't have really a transition plan. Correct. Okay. okay. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Well, good deal. So now the some of the problems of it are, you know, I've got to be comfortable not getting my money all up front, right? I mean, I've got to have enough sources of income that, you know, I don't. This, the reason why it doesn't maybe get done a whole lot is because, you know, I don't get my money all up front. I get it in a stream of payments over 10 years. So if I have other debts to pay off or something, that could be a problem. Yeah. You know, a line of credit on my grain, I've got to figure out, right, what do I, how do I pay off my line of credit? So. Right on. So really, the equipment side of trying to do something with the equipment, that's just, is what it is. So you kind of just have to do it all at once. Yeah. The other, you know, just to expand this a little further, the other thing is, well, instead of selling my equipment, I will, you know, which triggers this gain in year one, I will lease it to somebody else, right? So if I lease it to somebody else, then I have to pick up rental income over that, you know, whatever the lease term might be. Um, it, the challenge there is the IRS could look at the lease payments as an effective sale, and they could recharacterize it as a sale, a disguised sale. So there's always that risk. But if, if there's some hoops to jump through, but if you work through it, you know, again, instead of selling my equipment to somebody else, I'm just going to lease it, lease it to them, and that's a way to recognize the income gradually. But again, you got to watch that it's not essentially a sale. Um, so there's right. exposure there. So if you do a uh, knife. Forgive me, because I forget which one it is. But is it the is it a, uh, the capital lease that at the end you can have the residual be a dollar, or is that the operating lease? 
That's a capital lease, yeah. So, a capital so if it's a bargain purchase at the end, if you set that up from the beginning and you say, hey, junior or some other person, you know, you only have to pay me a dollar at the end, that's a sale and you got a problem on your hands. So, um, yep. That's what they consider that to be a sale then at that point? Right, because in effect, it's so, it, if it's a fair market value buyout, then it's then it's a true lease or it should be it considered an operating lease. So, right. Um, Correct. So if you did one where you set up like a balloon payment at the end, you had, I don't know, whatever, five, ten thousand dollar payments and at the end you had, you know, another fifty or sixty thousand bucks or whatever the value of the machine is, you know, to, to as a yeah. quote residual payment, then what would that look like? Certainly a lot better argument. I mean there there's no bright line test on this, Casey, but yeah, the the, the larger the payment is at the end, you know, the more arms length it is, the better. And, you know, and you you know, you guys obviously deal with with arm's length leases all the time. So, right. you know, certainly, you know, one of your customers could talk to you about, hey, what would be an arm's length? How would you set it up, you know, in your finance department? And then if you use, it seemed to me, if you use similar terms, right, then it, the IRS wouldn't have a whole lot to, to argue with you about right. because you tried to set it up as an arm's length lease. So, yep. Would you have to have a leasing company to do that? No, you don't. It just, I would just say, you know, just to, to, to have a better handle on what arm's length terms should be, you could kind of you know talk to somebody like like you that hey this is this is typically how we work a a buyout at the end or whatever. So you want to obviously avoid junior having to pay twice for the equipment, right? If they lease it for ten years or say they lease it for five years, then buy it out at fair market value. You know you can say hey well, I'm paying for this twice. So there's it's a it's a fine balancing act there. Right. So right on, man. Well. If guys want to continue these conversations and get some more advice on on tax situations, how would they do that? Yeah, our phone number here at Heinold Banwert is 309, area code 694-4251. And you can always look me up on Twitter at at Glenn Birnbaum. Right on. All right, Glenn. Well, until uh, until next time, next week, let's uh, have a good week. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Casey. All right, Glenn. All right, cool. All right, we're we're clear now, so I'll just edit this out, cut it up. Yeah. That that was good. good. That was a good one, man. That was about back and forth. Yeah, the lease was. Yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping to. um, The lease, it's very common. We'll just set this up on a lease, but it's all. I'm always a little nervous about. Okay, well, this effectively a sale, but but. you know, you, you can't. The alternative is I get hit with all the income in year one, which just doesn't isn't too palatable. So, no man, it's you, if you retire from farming, man, you kind of get kind of get hammered a little bit. If you're not careful. You do. You do. Yep. Yep. Oh. So, all righty, man. All right, buddy. Well, thank okay. You. Well, go to your conference. I will. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for thanks for working with me on times here. No problem. Okay. All right. Bye. See you, buddy. Bye.